ever wanted to know how to bloat like a corpse, we've got the right person for you. Robert Lee Hodge on Civil War Talk Radio when we come back. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking with Robert Lee Hodge, whose picture as a Confederate soldier appears on the cover of Tony Horwitz's book, Confederates in the Attic, and who also is a co-owner of Wide Awake Films, producers of Civil War videos. Rob, we were talking at the end of our last segment about how uh, you have been able to work with Wide Awake Films and help produce uh, reenactments and then film them. Is uh, is Wide Awake your day job? Is this a full time occupation now? Yes, it's uh, it's evolved into that. It started out as a part time thing, um, and I had you know various research and writing assignments that I was doing kind of freelancing um, in the uh, late nineties, and we started Wide Awake in nineteen ninety nine, and uh, that was just me and Shane Seeley, and then um, that became a full time thing in about mm, two thousand two. And uh, so, you know, it's it's pretty much the main focus now. Um, and uh, that's not to say that I don't do research uh, and writing assignments, but they have to be, you know, uh, a lot less. Um, you know, I, I often want to take on every kind of assignment possible, but, you know, you, you have to focus and, and create a pecking order sometimes. So uh, Wide Awake's the main thing, and uh, we're hoping to do a lot more films, um, uh for our historical um, division that we have, basically, we have five on DVD now. We have a total of 15 films, but we want to um, upgrade some of those, turn them into DVD, 
and then uh, also create about probably 10 or more working titles in the next several years. So we have a lot um, to do between now and uh, the uh, 150th, which, you know, in about uh, just a few days from now, it'll be five years away. That's right. We're here early in 2006, and we're, we're approaching, as you say, the 145th anniversary of the beginning of the war, and that certainly will draw the public's attention, uh, much as the centennial did uh, almost 50 years ago. Now, when uh, so you say you've been involved in this project since the late 90s, and uh, before that you came to the attention of, of people in the Civil War community through the, the book uh, Confederates in the Attic, and I thought I'd ask you a little bit about that. How did you get uh, connected with the author of that book? Well, um, I met Tony Horowitz in his uh, uh, hometown that he lived in at the time, Waterford, Virginia, which is uh, was a beautiful uh, bucolic uh, town in northern Loudoun County. Uh, unfortunately, now it's being encapsulated by uh, suburban sprawl, McMansions everywhere. Mm-hmm. But um, when I met Tony, I was in that community uh, specifically to film an episode of Civil War Journal, the Fredericksburg episode. We thought it was... We picked the location of Waterford. We thought that was actually kind of more authentic and we could do more there than if we did it actually in Fredericksburg. And so we filmed the Fredericksburg episode there, and, you know, he had just gotten back from Bosnia. And, um, you know, he had been getting shot at there, and then he's, you know, waking up in the morning in the countryside of Virginia here in gunfire. And so he went outside to see what was going on, and we were filming um, just uh, you know a few homes away from where um, he lived. And uh, so we struck up a conversation. Actually, he struck up a conversation with people before me, other guys that were uh, at that time in the Southern Guard, the um, Living History Group that I had belonged to. And uh, I was just one of the people that, uh, as he describes in the book, um, that he ran into, and uh, and for whatever reason, he he and I kind of uh, hung out more than anybody. And um, uh, you know, I he had said at one point that he had an interest in really joining a, a reenactment unit, getting into reenacting. And and I just I thought it's because that's something he just wanted to do. Period. But I didn't really quite fully understand his angle. That it was really more to gather information for an article for the Wall Street Journal, and that came out in, I believe it was June 4th of 1994, and, um, you know, it it showed some of the, you know, interesting antics of hardcore reenactors. I wouldn't say it was the most flattering article (laughs) written. It wasn't stoic. It didn't make us look like we were, you know, material culture academics or anything. It made us look kind of like a freak show, I thought, but... um, Uh, Let me ask you about that, because that's... uh, you know, I was rereading uh, the book a little bit today, and my recollection of it, and even rereading it, is that he seems to tread a pretty careful line. Um, certainly there are people in the living history community who could be caricatured pretty easily, I would I would think. Right. And yet he does the book seems to have a, a, an overall sympathetic approach. Uh, to you and, and other people who who were involved in living history at that time, right? Um, I, I mean, how how did you feel about it? 
Well, I mean, I could talk for hours about it, but I wouldn't want to bore the audience. I mean, um, well, give us a few minutes. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I mean, you know, when you when you wind up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal with uh, illustration, you know, you you look um, you, you know you look uh, pretty, you know, you you think that's going to be a great thing, and um, you know that that wasn't really uh, you know it, it the content of it, you know, uh, the mimicking. Bloated corpses. I mean, that's not something I, I would really. I'd prefer not to be known known for. Um, and uh, uh, um, and then also the uh, the other crazy things. The uh, uh, the using the urine to put patina on the buttons. Um, that was another thing that was a hook, and uh, that was something that you know uh, uh, wasn't something I was really. I was like, oh, geez, you know. And I and I didn't realize. Uh, it was a little embarrassing for me, but um, some of the guys in the reenactment unit, the Southern Guard, were very upset by it. Um, and I think they probably took themselves more seriously than I did. And, um, you know, I, I just, I thought, well, you know, it is what it is. And, and you know, look what we're doing. We're, you know, um, young adults and we're wearing reproduction clothes from 150 years ago and we're drilling to these manuals from this time and we're pointing guns at other people um, in mock battle. Although what we were doing is, I think, a little bit more academic. I mean, we were kind of focused more on the um, living history interpretation at the parks and really trying to set our, uh, ourselves um, above reenacting, um, almost in a, in, a, in a elitist way, I think, in hindsight, but that's also understandable because you know reenacting is what it is, and and you can't you can't run away from the from the fact that you know um, you, you know there's a there's a phrase a war is the congress of adolescence, and that's real war, and, and mock war is certainly that. And whether you know you're 50 or 60 years old, I mean, if you're doing that, it's somewhat childish. But that doesn't mean necessarily that it's bad. Um, being something things that are childish, I've kind of uh, I've grown to think, well, that's that could be a good thing, and um, you know, uh, the the addiction for me had always been a visually based thing, and so you know, I I've had a uh, uh, pretty big you know uh, interest in in the 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 visual aspects of it. You know, what did it look like for me? You know, to me, you know, what when you read the accounts from the soldiers, you know, those words paint pictures and so um you know when that happens i'm thinking okay what did that you know what did that look like and you know i, I think about the uniforms and the flags and the caissons and the and the and the wagons and the mules and 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 the the sounds and the smells and all those things and um you know it's it's something that living history if you want to call it that or her historical interpretation with the clothes on and stuff um you know that I think at times can be a constructive and uh, uh, worthwhile thing, even from an academic uh, standpoint. Well, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think there are many things you can't learn simply by reading about them. Uh, some of the points you make, uh, or, or that Tony Horowitz makes, for example, when he first meets uh, right. your unit, is how blue the sky is when he's out camping overnight the first time. Uh, in all right. the Brady photographs, the sky is just white. It's a black and white sky. And in our mind's eye, most of us, I would guess, still see many Civil War scenes through Brady's lens. 
right. gardener's lens. But it was fought in full color. Right. And you have to be there to see that. To take another example, uh, one of the things I enjoy doing with uh, my students when teaching a Civil War course is uh, one day just leaving some instructions for them on how to uh, form two ranks and uh, execute a, a company uh, quarter wheel to the left. And then I leave the room, and they have to go outside and teach themselves how to do it in 20 minutes. And they can never succeed, of course. They're, 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 they usually end up laughing a lot. <laughs> but until you've actually tried to march in any kind of formation, even briefly, you wonder why it was so hard to get a unit from point A to point B. And uh, by actually drilling, uh, people who engage in living history certainly have a much better sense of what's involved. And even the, the, the first experience of doing that shows shows you in a visceral way that reading about it doesn't do. Absolutely. was involved. Absolutely. And, and that's one thing I think that some academics have probably understood or been sympathetic with and others, you know, kind of scoff at it. You know, it depends on who you're talking with and... And um, one thing that Tony put had in his book that you know there there's is this kind of um, you know uh, element uh, substantial element within the historical interpretation community or you know and it's not of course a professional thing this is an advocacy or whatever a hobby or whatever but still there's this desire to get closer to to the reality of the time and um, and so you, you can find yourself. You know, cranking microfilm at the National Archives um, and looking into documents that people have not looked at in ages. Um, I remember opening court martials. You know, in the you know the like 1994, 1995. That you know, I don't think it seen the light of the light of day. And uh, Tom Lowry, who's done so much great research on court martials, I, you know, he hadn't really um, dug through all of those yet. And I, and I, and you know, to, to find some of the these court martials were just wonderful. And um, and that's the thing that's so amazing about this stuff, the research, is that uh, when you look at all the information that was being recorded at the time, and thankfully, mo- much of that information survives. That so little, oddly it's such a highly published subject, but still so little of that stuff, like at the National Archives, has been published or put online. I mean, because it'll take forever to do the data entry on it. It'll take a long, long time. But that's the thing that's interesting. A 140-some-year-old subject that you can dig into and find new stuff all the time. The future is very bright for this. These well, I, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, New collections of letters are being published all the time that are, are wonderful. I just right. read one last week that I thought was just a fabulous set of letters that had been at Yale for a hundred years and no one had, had bothered to publish them and now they're out. Um, but let me a- ask this within the, the living history community. Uh, this came up again in a class I was teaching recently. Uh, one of the students had engaged in uh, reenactment and we raise the issue of the people who do the, the kind of research you're talking about, but not looking at court martials maybe to learn more about the war, but purely to focus on the material culture. Yeah. Uh, my student used the phrase stitch Nazis uh, to describe people he had met who will argue at great length over the stitch count in the cloth of which your trousers are made, whether it's authentic or not. Yeah. Yet whose overall view of the war 
is still at the level maybe of the Marx blue and gray figures um, don't want to talk about slavery, don't want to talk about politics, don't want to discuss uh, or, or acknowledge anything other than the the uh, most detailed material culture issues. Do you see that element in the uh, uh, in the reenactment world? Tons of it. I mean, there are tons of people that get into the look, but um, that's their thing. I mean, you know, they want to they they want to create that great illusion. Um, but really, they're uh, and I understand this. I mean, they're they're consumers of historical product, and you know, um, and they're and they do a you know many do a great job, um, you know, with that kind of illusion. But when you get down to, you know, um, you know, battles or social history or political philosophy of the time, um, that's often greatly lacking, and you'll find um, you'll find that uh, quite a bit. Um, but you know that's not to you know say that people aren't well intended. I mean, I don't I don't think that my uh, desire to get into um, more microcosm history or going to the primary resource material was um, really a, a, an important thing to me until I moved to Virginia in the early '90s, and uh, that's about the time I you know '91 I met Pohanka and and others. And um, it was kind of a renaissance for me to be in Virginia, to be by D.C., to be by the archives and the Library of Congress. And then all of a sudden it's a new world. And um, it's not just reading the Golden Book of the Civil War, but it's reading diary accounts and going to the battlefields and beginning to get a much more detailed education of, you know, tons of battlefields in the East. And to go to them and make those connections was a big deal. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for myself, the turning point for me as far as having a better academic, perhaps, side of understanding things was uh, when I began uh, to be a principal researcher at Time Life Books uh, for their Voices of the Civil War series, and that was in 95, um, and that lasted to about 98. And then I worked again for them on uh, the Illustrated History of the Civil War in 99. And um, that was a dream come true. I mean, they were paying me to read Civil War books and to read unpublished documents and to go to um, various repositories like the Museum of the Confederacy to look for items to put into their books. And I just couldn't believe that um, I had that job. It, it, it is a great feeling, and I, I sometimes when I'm writing a lecture or teaching a class or, or doing research, I have that same thought. Uh, boy, it's great I'm getting paid to do this. Right. We need to get paid a little more. <laughs> it is amazing that we get to, to make a living doing this. We're going to take another short break, and we'll come back in a moment and talk more with Robert Lee Hodge on Civil War Talk Radio. 